Grab your Bibles, open them to Galatians chapter 1. I'm in the ESV version. As you're turning there, let me kind of tell you a little bit about Galatians. Galatians, um, written by a guy named Paul. Six chapters, hence why we're going over six specific uh, six specific weeks. Galatians is 149 verses, all right? So if you're an intelligent person in this room, it's going to take you about 10, 12, 15 minutes to read. Uh, if you're, you're slow, like me, it's going to take you maybe 20, 20 or so minutes to read, right? But Galatians is, is a great book, and it's written to a section of churches in a place called Galatia, um, which was like me writing to like Southern California or Northern California, right? So you understand that there is like regional, uh, uh, there's like tons of different cities in all of Southern California, right? And it's got the best weather and a bunch of other things, right? Um, but you can understand kind of like there's a region. Uh, oftentimes, Paul would write to specific churches. This one's written to a region of churches called Galatia. There's no city called Galatia in the ancient world. It's a region, Southern California. You kind of get what I'm talking about. It was written in 50 AD, about 15 years after the death an ascension of Jesus Christ, about 15 or so years after the conversion of Paul, which we'll meet Paul in a little bit later and in weeks to come. Now, I believe that this Galatians is probably one of the most important books ever penned in human history. I say this because we at SEG are part of a movement called Protestantism. It's led by a guy named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. This existed way back in the 1500s, and um, he got his name from this Martin Luther. And Martin Luther kind of believed that the Catholic Church was teaching some things that weren't actually in the Bible. They were, in some sense of the way, adding things things onto, onto God's Word. And so he believed that the church needed to be reformed to more accurately reflect the message of what Jesus Christ actually came to articulate, right? And so hence something called the Protestant Reformation. On October 31st, uh, 1517, um, in Wittenberg, Germany uh, was the, uh, the Reformation. Martin Luther nailed these 95 theses to a wall. He called it the Disputation of the Power of Indulgences. I don't even know what that means. Um, but the document was a series of 95 ideas that he believed that the Catholic Church was kind of moving away from what God's Word says. 95 ideas. And he said, look, let's talk about it. Let's debate it, right? Like, let's go fight in the public square, right? That was kind of the idea, right? And so no one really took him up on it. And, it, and they, they actually tried to, well, they did take him up on it, but they tried to kill him because of it. And all these ideas were controversial because they directly contradicted the Catholic Church's teaching. So where did, where did Martin Luther get his ideas, right? Was he just sitting there one day and was like, I don't like the Catholic Church and the Pope sucks. Like, how am I? And I don't like, I don't like having to go to a priest to like atone for my sin and like go in this weird box. It's all hot, you know, like what? And talk about like my sin. Like, I don't like that. So like what, where did Martin Luther get his ideas to create the Protestant Reformation? Hence, we are sitting in a church like this 500 years later. Well, he actually read the book of Galatians and weirdly enough, also the book of Romans. Galatians, um, he said, was his favorite book of all time. Actually, he said this. He loved it so much that he would marry it. He said, um, the epistle of Galatians, the term epistle means letter, is the Galatian is my epistle. I have betrothed it myself. It is my wife, which is kind of weird, right? He's like, I married this book. Um, but he called it the Great Charter, the Magna Carta, right? This was the, the greatest letter um, penned in human history. Uh, and so in short, our boy uh, Martin loved Galatians, right? He was, he was all about it because it stands in contrast to his next favorite book, the book of Romans. Um, Romans, also written by Paul, written to the people of Rome, right? Um, Romans, and what I want you to understand about Romans is it basically tells us what the gospel is. Right, so Paul in his work tells us in, in really the first 11 chapters does hard work to teach us theology. Like what is the Bible all about? What did Jesus come to tell us, right? If you are a Christian, you actually really only need to read three books and, um, uh, and you'll get the entire storyline of God. You need to read Genesis, Romans, and Revelation. You'll get the beginning, you'll get all that Jesus did, and you'll get what happens in the end. But Paul basically uh, wrote 
Galatians to combat a false teaching that earlier churches adopted. And so these men came into the church twisting God's Word and creating an illusion that, meant, that it meant something that it didn't. So I'm going to give you an opening question. I want you guys to turn and discuss for maybe uh, a minute or so. Here's the question. Have you ever had one of those times when you're looking at an event, a situation, or a decision, and you view it one way, but someone else views it an entirely different way? I'm going to say it again. Have you ever had one of those times where you're looking at an event, a situation, a decision, maybe someone is dating, whatever, uh, and you view it one way? Like, this guy's an idiot. And then they view it a totally separate and different opposite way, all right? So I'm going to give you guys a minute, turn to discuss. If you ever had an event or a situation, you viewed it one way. A friend or someone close to you viewed it in an entirely different way. I'll give you a minute, turn to discuss. Ready, set, go. Whatever it is. All right, all right, bring it up, bring it up. All right, let me hear. Has there ever been an event, a situation? Uh, uh, RJ, you had a good one. You said politics, just anything in politics, right? Like one person can be so passionate about seeing something this way, and you're like, I just can't, I just don't, I just don't see it that way. I think that's probably the greatest problem, right, when in our two-party system is you have people that are so polarized on the rights and lefts that there's no common ground any longer, right? They're just getting further and further and further and further uh, away, holding on to, to, their, to, to their, their core values and beliefs, right? Um, but what else, right? Is there any other events, situations, decisions that you viewed one way and you had somebody view an entirely different way? Maybe in a relationship, right? You had a friend that was like, you shouldn't date that person, whatever it is, right? So um, I, I found these optical illusions. Actually, they found optical illusions. I always find them interesting because people see them differently, right? I have a twin sister, and it's weird because she would always see the, like, whatever I didn't see. She would see the exact opposite. It's like I had one part of the brain, and she had like the smarter half of the brain. But anyway, we have some optical illusions. I want to see what you guys see. Give me the very first one. Um, all right, so uh, who sees the vase first? Immediately saw the vase. Who sees the two people? All right, all right. So the, uh, so the two people. All right, give me the next one. Who sees the bird first or the bunny? Can you guys see the bunny? Raise your hand if you can't see the bunny. You got to like tilt your head like this. No, like this. Like this, like this. You got to tilt your head like that. Bunny, duck. Bunny, duck. Pretty funny. All right, give me the next one. So this one's a person, but inside it is a woman. Can you see the woman and the man? Which one did you see first? Raise your hand if you saw it. Yeah, the face is up. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, yeah, Also, I didn't see that actually. Nah. All right. Uh, give me the next one. All right. This one's all about his legs. One, two, three, four, five. Five legs. Which that's not how those animals work, right? That's not like they're anatomy. Right? All right. Give me the next one. This one's weird. This one's super weird. All right. That one's probably like the easiest one to see, right? There's also some like dead dude on his shoulder or whatever that is. I don't know what that is. Um, all right, give me the next one. This one's pretty interesting. All right, who saw the tree first? Raise your hand if you saw the tree first. Raise your hand if you saw the animals first. Animals first? Just a few of you guys? All right. All right, is this our last one? Last one? Two more. All right, give me the next one. All right, this one's wild. All right, all right, wait. I can't, I can't see the other one. I see the, old, I see the old woman. What do you guys see? So the old woman, like her eye is like by the hair, and there's supposed to be a young woman somewhere, but I can't see her. 
Oh, she's turning. She's like this, right? Yeah, she's turning. So she's like this. All right, raise your hand if you see the old woman. Raise your hand if you see the young woman first. Okay, just a few of you guys. Isn't this weird how, how we see something so different? All right. Um, they're in awkward positions here. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, obviously you probably see both at the same time, right? Some are, some are easier uh, than others, right? All right, is that the last one? Last one. All right. So uh, Paul, he's addressing a problem in an illusion that the early church is believing in. They're seeing something. Um, these people are telling them something, and they, they, they look like they're seeing something in God's Word that actually isn't there because people are teaching them incorrectly, right? And so there's an illusion that Paul is trying to unpack. He's trying to say, look, you're seeing something that isn't actually there, that isn't biblical. Now, these people who came to the Galatians or to the, the churches of Galatia, they were called the Judaizers. That's the name that history has given them, that we little, know a little bit about who they are. Now, a Judaizer was someone who was a, a, a claimant uh, someone who was claiming to be a follower of Christ, but they would add all of kind of the, the Old Testament rules and regulations. They had a very legalistic interaction with God. Um, there was a great list of do's and don'ts, and if you ever did the don'ts, you were going to hell for 100% certainty, right? And they also had a Jewish background. Like I said, to, they believed that to be right with God, that you needed to become Jewish first. So you would have to like become a Jew, proselyze as a Jew, and then from that point moving forward, you could accept Jesus. But it was Judaism plus Jesus. Now, here's a few things. Galatia, you need to know, was a Roman colony, uh, a region, a, a, a large region in modern-day Turkey, by the way. And uh, it was full of Roman citizens who none of them were, had a Jewish heritage or upbringing. None of them were ethnically Jewish. None of them had Jewish blood. None of them were naturalistically uh, 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 Jewish, meaning they come from Israel or Jerusalem. And none of them were religious Jews. So these people come in, they say, look, before Christ, you must become a Jew. And so this angered Paul that some Jewish people crept their way into these churches and told them that they needed to become Jewish. Uh, and it was not just to receive Christ to be saved. They also needed to become Jewish. Now, let me put this in perspective to see why this, why this, would, why this angered Paul. Imagine I gave a sermon, right? And the sermon was, was magnetic and beautifully displayed, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? At the end, I, I did an altar call, and many of you guys stood up for the very first time in your life. And as you stood up, I said, hey, I see you guys. Meet me in the back right after service. I have some things for you. And so you're like, all right. So you go in the back. You think I'm going to give you a Bible and a high five and a ticket to heaven or whatever it is, right? And we get, we get in the back and I go, hey, so excited you guys stood. Here's what I need from you from this point moving forward. I need you guys to become Jewish. Now, we're going to have to follow some of the ritualistic laws of the Jews. So men, um, we're going to have to undergo the ritual of circumcision. So men, if you guys would follow me to the bathroom, we have doctors. No, like, you know, like, like that's kind of like the message that, 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 that these people were teaching. Circumcision was not popular in the ancient world. It is popular in America now because for cleanliness and a plethora of other reasons, right? But in the ancient world, it was not popular. So men that were going to these churches would have to literally get castrated, or not castrated, that'd be, that'd be really bad, uh, needed to be circumcised. It's kind of the same thing at that age. Uh, 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 they need to be circumcised at like age like 35. Like, no thanks. You're like, I raised my hand, but I didn't raise it for that. Like, absolutely not doing that, right? Like, and so that's why kind of like Paul, he's angry. See, in that moment, you kind of understand that I'm adding something to the Bible that isn't there. Can you imagine how like, empty churches would be if it was like, hey, you say yes to Jesus and then get circumcised today. You'd be like, no, thank you, right? Like, and so that's, that's why Paul's kind of angry at this because these people are adding something that's kind of a tough pill to swallow, let's be real, to the gospel of Jesus that isn't there. And that's why he wrote Galatians. So Paul's angered. You can see it actually in his tone because they're trying to mix the gospel uh, with other things like you would like mix a cocktail or something like that. And he is heated. He's, he literally, he's pissed. Now, 
if you read any of his other uh, letters, you'll see that he opens up and he's like thanking God for them, like I'm super hyped and stoked on you. He doesn't say that in the Greek, but basically like that. This one he goes straight into, let me tell you about the gospel, let me tell you how you suck. That's basically kind of how he goes into, um, into his argument in, in Galatians. And his point is this, when you add something to the gospel, it becomes something else. It's not Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus and you need to do good works. It's not Jesus and you need to do X, Y, or Z. It's Jesus plus nothing. Because the second it becomes Jesus plus something else, it's no longer the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we take something away from the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, these Judaizers, they came into the church. They were not trying to win people for Christ. They didn't have a heart for people who were non-Jewish. They didn't actually even like people that were non-Jews. I'll tell you, teach you that in a second. So they were not trying to win people towards Christ. They were trying to wean people away from, uh, from Paul. So in other words, like they were like, look, Paul's teaching you this. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an idiot. Let me kind of teach you something better, something what you really need to know, the real gospel. And so they're trying to wean people away from Paul. And they're trying to get the churches of Galatia to turn away from Paul and what he had taught them just a few years earlier when he started this church, when he started all of these churches. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to Galatians chapter 1. I'm in the ESV. We're going to go through this quickly because I'm going to get you guys in your groups. It says this, Paul, an apostle, highlight, underline the word apostle, not from men nor from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, verse 2, and all brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So Paul here, he kind of does something interesting. He begins to like give his resume. He starts with, he's an apostle, and the Greek word is apostolos. It means a sent one. It means the one that God has commissioned on behalf of God. Now, God had sent Paul to start this church, and he did it with great success. Paul was probably the greatest church planter on the planet. I mean, he was. Like, he was starting churches over the entire known world during the time that he lived. And when he went to go start another church and left the churches that he started here, he kind of gave the churches to local leadership. Hey, you're going to be doing care ministry. You're going to be the senior pastor. You're going to be some elders and bishops. You're going to run student ministries. You're going to run junior high, bummer. You're going to do all these other, all these other, all these other ministries, right? Um, you're going like, to you know, clean the trash cans and make the food and all this other type of stuff. He left it over to local leadership so that they could develop um, and, and they could lead the churches. But not, after, not long after he left just a few years actually, he gets wind and, and he starts to hear, whether on Twitter or whatever it is, that, uh, that there are some false kind of beliefs that are going around in the church and that one of the false gospels that is being spread in these churches that he just planted a few years ago is that they have no heart for non-Jewish people. These are called the Gentiles. Whenever you read the Bible and you use the word Gentile, just insert non-Jewish pe- person. If you're not a Jew in this room, then you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile, you're a Gentile, right? So many ancient Jewish rabbis, um, and the reason that a lot of uh, the Galatian churches believe this is because many of the ancient Jewish rabbis hated Gentiles. They had a, a disdain for people that were not Jewish. They were extraordinarily racist. Like, they, they hated people that were not Jews. And so um, uh, there was a common saying among ancient Jewish rabbis that in the synagogue they would teach from the stage, and they would say things like this, God created Gentiles, God created non-Jewish people to kindle the fires of hell. Like the reason that the world outside of Israel exists is so that God can keep hell warm. That was a common belief 2,000 years ago. Or maybe you've heard this one. See if this rings a bell. There is joy in heaven when God obliterates one sinner from off the earth. That's like what they taught. Like, oh, let's pray. Can you imagine? Like, that's like the message. Now in Luke 15, 7, and by the way, that message is so far from the heart of the gospel, right? Like if you learn anything about Jesus Christ is that his heart hurts most for those that are far from him. That's like what he came to represent and show us, that he loves people who are absolutely nothing like him. In Luke 15, 7, it says this, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. See, Jesus actually count, tells us this. He, he, he actually says this to counteract this awful, this terrible, this horrific theology that God is waiting, God is eager to annihilate, obliterate, destroy, and ruin people. And Jesus said this because he had most definitely heard other rabbis 
at the time speak of God like this. God is excited to obliterate people, and that's not true at all. Verse 3 and 5 says, grace, highlight that, to you in peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, whom gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever, ever. Amen. So with his very first word here, um, grace, he kind of challenges their understanding of the gospel. He wants them to know that they're not saved by their saving work. They're not saved by doing good things, helping grandmas cross the street, even following all of the Old Testament laws, which there's 613 of them. Like you can't uh, wear interwoven fabric. You can't cut your hair a certain way. You can't eat shellfish. You can't do X, Y, or Z. You're not saved by doing those good works in any sense of the way. You are saved by God's grace. See, the truth is we are saved by work. It's just not ours. It's, it's, it's Jesus' work on the cross. And in verse 4, uh, Paul begins to teach us that. In verse 4, he talks about the cross, the work that Jesus has done on behalf of us. And he, re- it is, he, he wants to retell this to the early church to get them to understand the simplicity of Scripture. Three things. Number one, that all, the, all people have sinned, and there are consequences for that. Number two, God became a man through Jesus Christ to pay those consequences um, for us. And then three, he substituted himself in our place for our sin as our Savior. That because of the cross, that your debt, that my debt before God, the way that sin creates a debt, can be forgiven by placing our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, and nothing else. Nothing else is added. See, I spoke at our Good Friday service a few weeks ago, and I, 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 my whole message was around one word, tetelestai, tetelestai. And it was the last words that Jesus said on the cross. And what does it translate in English? It is finished, or paid in full. The truth is, when he said it is finished or it's paid in full, he meant that. It meant that the work had been done, that nothing else needed to be added. All you need to do is trust Jesus and that you can be saved. That's exactly what Paul says in elsewhere in the book of Romans. If you confess with your mouth but believe in your heart that, Je- that Jesus has been risen from the dead, that you can be saved, that nothing else is added. But that's, that's too simple, right? Like oftentimes we want to, we, we can't, it's difficult for us to receive this free gift. We feel like we have to earn it. It's the reason that like when you don't come to church, there's a part of you that feels guilty because you feel like being here somehow makes you right with God. Now, yes, coming to church is important. Yes, reading your Bibles is important. Yes, being in fellowship with other believers is important. But the truth be told is the Bible says that it is by our grace through, it is by God's grace through our faith that, that, that in Him that we are saved. And in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul elsewhere says, We are saved by grace through faith alone, not by works, so that no man shall boast. In other words, it is a gift to you and I. I'm going I'm to continue to talk about that um, in a second. Um, verse 6 and 7, follow with me. He says, I am astonished. The Greek word here kind of indicates that it's, he's like flabbergasted. He's like pulling his hair out. He's like, Are you kidding me? I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserted him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a highlight different gospel. Verse 7, not that there is another one. So he's like, look, you guys are turning to this gospel that isn't even real. Not that there actually is one that saves, but you're turning to a whole other message. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So I already kind of told you the context of the Judaizers and the early churches of Galatia and the right, why he's writing chapter 1. But I was thinking about this, this this last week. What letter do you think Paul would write to modern day churches in Southern California? Like, what, what message do you think he would want to communicate to us if he was writing to us? Like, the, there are different gospels that are leading people astray. And what are those gospels? What are those messages? By the way, gospel just translates to good news or message. So, like, what are, the, what are the common and popular gospels that are leading people astray? What are the counterfeit, um, counterfeit gospels in some sense of the way? The thing about um, all, all counterfeit gospels or all different gospels is they try to improve Scripture in some way. Let me give you an example. Um, so we have Jehovah Witnesses or Mormons. Uh, the classical understanding of both of those religions is their cults. Um, they take parts of the Christian faith and they, 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 they skew it and twist it. Um, and when they say Jesus, they don't mean Jesus. They mean something entirely different than the Jesus that the New Testament teaches about. 
And so their improvement is this. For Mormons, it's that you can become God. They actually believe that you and I can actually become gods one day if we live a good Mormon life. Um, so they're not a monotheistic religion. Mono is not what your friend got in high school after prom. Mono means, uh, monotheism means one God. Mono, one theism, the, the God, right? One God, or polytheism. They're actually polytheistic religions. Poly meaning more than one theism God. Mormonism at its heart is, is not even close to Christianity, even though that they, they say they read the Bible, they, they, they follow the same Jesus, they believe that Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers, that they're the same. It's, it's not even close to the same, but their improvement is they believe you can become God. Number two, um, I've learned that a lot of people, uh, Gen Z and millennials, um, they're getting really like into like new age beliefs, right? So it's like manifesting the law of attraction, the secret, manifesting your own reality, speaking it into existence. Um, and this made, was made popular by Oprah in a book called The Secret. I think there's a movie coming out um, actually about this. But anyways, it's the, their, their improvement is this, that you can bend the universe to your will. You can bend God to your will through repetition, through, you guys will become God in that sense, right? If I can bend the cosmos to make me get a red Ferrari or whatever it is, then I'm, I'm, I'm acting like God in some sense of the way. These universal principles, I have the capacity to twist in my favor, that gives you a lot of influence and power, like a God, right? Their improvement is you can bend the world around your desires, right? A lot of people are even like really into like their astrological uh, uh, symbols and signs, right? They look to the cosmos, say I'm a Capricorn, I'm a alligator, I'm a whatever, right? And, uh, uh, and that teaches me something about myself, right? And, and, and from that, I can, I, can, I can look at the cosmos and it can divinely guide and direct me, right? That it couldn't be further from what the Bible says. You don't you don't get to hold both of those, right? Why, why look to the stars? Why, why pray to the stars when you can pray to the God who created them, right? Like those things are fundamentally incompatible. There's another one. It's the prosperity gospel. It's that God doesn't actually expect your life to change at all. That your beliefs don't actually have to inform your actions, attitude, and behaviors. Um, this is popularly called the moralistic therapeutic deism, or unpopularly called that, right? I've talked about it before, but essentially it's that you have created God in your own image. And simply the improvement is that God looks like you, thinks like you, and you're good in his eyes regardless of what you do. You're going to heaven 100% always. See, the thing about all these is they demonstrate turning away from a person into a false idea. And that's what was happening in the early church too. They were turning to all these laws, all these rituals, all these like regulations, and he's saying, I want you to turn towards the person of Christ. Follow with me in verse 8 and 10. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The word is anathema. It means literally to be damned and sent to hell. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone has preached to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So he's saying, look, even if an angel pops up in your presence and says, look, I want you to believe X, Y, or Z, which is the exact story of Mormonism, by the way, that the angel Moroni appeared to uh, Joseph Smith in about the 18, I think 1857 or so, and imputed to him, gave him these golden tablets, right? It, he's literally writing against this. But anyway, um, for I am now seeking the approval of man or God. He's like, look, dude, am I, am I, am I, the message I'm telling you, the, the people that are sending you and giving you this message should be damned to hell. That's not a popular one. Like, I'm not going to be popular in your churches anymore. No one's going to be putting Paul posters on the wall, right? That's not going to happen, right? Or am I trying to please man? If I'm still trying to please man, I would not be a servant. Its original word was slave of Christ, but English translators don't like the word slave because of our our, our, what was going on in our country, that they input the word servant. But the idea uh, um, uh, here is, and the reason why Paul is passionate about this, is if you mess with the gospel, you mess with salvation. If you mess with the gospel, you mess with our opportunity to know God and be saved. And this is why Paul is so passionate, because he knows what's at stake here. He says, if you mess and twist God's word, you're going to send people and lead them astray. So they need to know what God's word says for themselves. This is the whole reason the Gutenberg Press was created, by the way. 
They believed that the Catholic Church was leading people astray, so they wanted to create a printing press that get the word in the common language, the Bible, to the entire world so people could know God. They didn't need to know Latin, which was only of the priesthood in, in Catholicism, that you could know God on your own. That's the absolute truth, right? Now, the gospel and what, what really Paul wants them to know is it's Jesus plus nothing. The gospel, in essence, is, is done, not do. It's, it's been finished. It's done. And every other religion, every other religious system says, here's what you need to do. And the gospel says, no, look what was done for you. That's the main differing factor between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Done and do. And you don't need to do because it was done. See, we live in a pluralistic society that says truth can be noble and that truth maybe can be equal, which ironically is like a true statement, but it's another story. See, our society teaches there are many ways to God, but that couldn't be further from the truth. There are not many ways, but there's one way. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but except through me. I'm the door. I'm the gate. No one goes to heaven. No one gets to interact or have a relationship with God but through me. I am the means, the mediator for that to happen. See, if there was another way, then why would God have even created the, why would the cross have had to happen in the first place? The cross demands that there is only one way. And this is what I appreciate in Paul's heart that he's cursing these false teachers because he knows their teaching is going to lead people away from God and ultimately to hell. When you think about it, right, like if I were to ask you to give me a definition of love, you're probably going to give me a culturally constructed idea of it, that it's accepting people and a plethora of other things like that. The truth is love is way more than that. Love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Here's the most important part, to bring that person to a right standing before God. Anything that you do that is not working to bring a person to a right standing before God isn't loving. Love by its very definition, if, and you're not a believer, but if, if, if you were, or, or, or uh, maybe you're here today and you disagree, go with me really quick. If there is a God that created heaven and hell, provided a way through his son so that you could be brought into heaven, that your sin could be paid for, and you were doing anything but attempting and trying to get people to enter into a right relationship with God, that can't be loving. Because the most loving thing that you could do, if Jesus is real, the gospel is real, and all the scripture is real, the most loving thing you and I could do is work to get people into a right relationship with their creator. And that's what Paul is doing here. He says, look, I love you guys, and this is why I need to tell you the truth. I need to tell you the truth that without Jesus, you're doomed, and what you are believing in is going to send you away from hell. So I'm writing this letter. I, 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 I am penning this letter to you guys. Follow with me. Verse 11 says this, for I would have you know, brothers, the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I not received it from any man, nor was I taught, but, but has received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. So to show that he did not receive kind of this, this message from man, but from Jesus, Paul tells us a story starting with his life before actually meeting Jesus. Follow with me in verse 13. For you have heard of my uh, former life in Judaism, for I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So from this verse onward, Paul begins to kind of tell us, um, uh, he presents kind of the evidence on why he's trustworthy and why the gospel he taught was the one that can only actually save. He has this encounter with Jesus. I'll, I'll teach you about it in a second. It's in Acts 9. But Paul, here's what you need to know about. It. He was like the Jewiest of Jew, like the, the Jew of all Jews, right? He was like a super Jew with a cape and everything, right? Because when Christianity first started and it was gaining popularity, um, he was seeking and he sought to destroy the movement, to like to squash out all of Christianity and to erase Jesus' names from all the history books. In fact, he tried to murder a few people and even helped create the insurrection or the mob that eventually led to the, the killing of the very first Christian, um, a guy named Stephen. So in this verse, and in, in, in the verses that we're going to hop into in a second, Paul basically says, look, I, I, didn't, I didn't want this to be true, but I found out that it was, and because of that, my entire life has changed, right? And now one, the, one of the messages that I tried to destroy is now the message that I feel obligated to, to tell. And so he's basically saying, look, like, I, I, I was trying to 
end this movement. I was trying to kill Christians. I was trying to do the opposite of all of this. And in doing so, I was trying to change the gospel, change the, 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 the word of God. But what I realized is the gospel changed me. And so Paul's conversion story is found in the book of Acts chapter 9. It's this crazy story. If he's on like on it, we don't know if he's a donkey, a horse, we don't know what he's on, but he gets thrown off and he's blinded for three whole days. He goes to meets a man named Ananias and he interacts with him and, and then eventually goes to uh, Arabia for three long years and he's supposedly having these interactions with, with Jesus. Somehow Jesus is revealing more of who he is to Paul while he's out three and a half years and eventually he interacts with um, Peter uh, three years later and he realizes that everything that God was teaching him was exactly the same things that Jesus taught Peter while he walked on this earth. And he basically flips Paul's life upside down. He goes from hating Jesus to loving him, trying to destroy the message of Christ to preaching the message of Christ, trying to kill Christians to dying for them. So in short, let me, I want to get you guys time in your group. So I'm going to not read verses 14 to 24. It's just, it's, I literally just gave you kind of what, what he's teaching there. So I want you to go here with me. In short, here's what I want you to know. Paul wants the people that he is writing this letter to, to know that they, have, that they should have confidence in the gospel he gave them, that this was not from man's origin, but it was from God, that God directly gave Paul this message on what it looks like to be saved, right? To bring a living Jesus to a dying world, that there's this problem in your heart and my heart that has separated us from God forever and ever and ever called sin. But Jesus came to save us from that. And to reject the gospel is to reject God's saving grace. And that's what he wants them to know. And tonight, I want you to have the same confidence. I want you to know that the Bible that I hold in my hand or the one that you hold in your hand is the actual living word of God that communicates and teaches us and shows us exactly how Christ saves. When you think about it, in the past 20, 15, or even maybe 10 years, there's been a proliferation of different new gospels in the United States, right? Such as the, the New Age belief system that is growing really popular with, with a lot of the high school students and junior high students that um, we minister to on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, with a law of attraction or whatever it is. Or maybe there's other ones that are kind of like a, I don't know, a pop psychology and amalgamation of, of, of different kind of views and things. But whatever their origin are, they are constantly misdirecting people away from the one truth that can save their souls. Galatians, and this is the last thing I'll say, Galatians provides us an unchanging message for an ever-changing world. And that message is simple. It's this that only Jesus saves and he's all you need. It's Jesus plus nothing, that he is all your need for, for your sense of peace and joy and stability in your life, that he's all your need to enter into heaven one day, that Jesus is all you need. And that's what chapter one teaches us. And that's what Paul wants you and I to know. Let me pray for you guys and I'll get you guys in the groups for about 20 or so minutes to go through this. Father, today we thank you that in such a clear way, Paul communicates to us that you and you alone can save. And that, um, yeah, that, that never, in an ever-changing world that you are a constant. And God, we thank you for that. As we continue to move tonight into the book of Galatians chapter 1, I pray, Father, you continue to reveal the truth of the gospel, that we are saved not by our work, but by the work of the saving work of the cross. And so, Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.